0: Welcome to the Future Beef Podcast. In this series, we will explore issues and management relevant to the North Australian beef industry. Future Beef is a collaboration between Meat and Livestock Australia and the Agricultural Departments of Queensland, the Northern Territory and Western Australia. Hello, this is the Future Beef Podcast and I'm Jane Cuddihy. Having the correct amount of phosphorus is critical to the health of your herd. The Queensland Department of Agriculture and Fisheries Beef Team have come up with a range of strategies and calculators to making your decisions in the paddock and on the budget easier. We're lucky enough to have Kylie Hopkins, a Beef Extension Officer, and Mick Sullivan, a Principal Beef Extension Officer with the Department of Agriculture and Fisheries in the Rockhampton office. They are self-confessed to phosphorus being their deepest love, but I guess first and foremost, Kylie and Mick, what, what is phosphorus and why is it important to our beef industry? Well,
1: we do love it, Jane, definitely. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but deepest the, love might there's... be a bit far
1: then. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, we do love it though because it it honestly really is a big problem across Northern Australia. So. When I say Northern Australia, Queensland, Northern Territory, Western Australia, and um, it's a problem because a lot of our beautiful old soils on these areas are just really low on phosphorus. And um, what happens is when cattle are grazing on these soils, they might get enough energy and protein from the grass in the wet season, but what they don't get enough of is phosphorus. And what what that phosphorus deficiency in their diet causes is basically the cattle just don't feel great and they don't eat enough grass. They just have a really reduced intake of pasture and then that causes a a big flow-on of problems. So it really does affect productivity but also profitability. So that's why we love it because it's something that we can talk to people about and help them
0: with. So what are the indicators? You said, you know, they're not going to take in as much pasture so that's, you know, they're going to lose condition. But are there any other indicators that show that they've got a phosphorus deficiency?
1: yeah there are. so there's um there's some some really common symptoms that people see. So the first one that everyone associates with phosphorus deficiency is bone chewing, and And that is because you know bones have phosphorus in them, so it's a learnt behaviour that cattle have if they chew bones, um they might get some phosphorus. The big problem with that is is chewing bones and carcasses of of any dead animals puts the animals at a huge risk of botulism. So, mm-hmm. If people are in a phosphorus deficient area, they definitely need to vaccinate for botulism, first of all. Um, some of the other symptoms are um, not just chewing bones, but chewing other objects like polypipe, wire, that type of stuff. Um, in extreme cases, we see deformities because the bones don't have enough phosphorus in them. So we see things like peg leg um, or even bone breakages. So, um, you know, most people have heard stories about cattle that might break hips or, or necks or backs when they're. In the crush that type of thing so they're they're sort of down the extreme end but the the more common thing that we see that people may not actually realize is a phosphorus deficiency is everything that's associated with that reduced intake of pasture so um, it's body condition like you said So cows in particular um, not being able to maintain body condition which of course affects their ability to get pregnant Um, if they do get pregnant they're less likely to, at weaning, produce a, a decent-sized weaner because their milk production is much lower. Um, and then it affects growing animals as well. So heifers um, you know, coming up to their first mating, of course, um, that weight is important. But also if you've got growing steers on phosphorus-deficient country, that reduced intake um, really affects their growth.
0: I just want to quickly ask about how pre- prevalent this is. Like I heard, you hear a lot of stories from the '80s when when that bone chewing and and death, the mortality was quite widespread. But it's it, it's not talked about in such dramatic terms now. Yet there still seems to be such a, a problem, or at least a, an, an issues to fix. So, just as a very broad brush stroke take on it, how how prevalent is it?
2: Most producers recognise country that has, um, you know, typically lighter soils, um, poorer growth rates, you know, lower reproduction, and, and yes, once upon a time there was often bad peg leg in all the country in botulism. Well, I think part of the reason it may not get talked about as much is that we fixed the botulism problem years ago with the vaccine, so they no, they no longer have to of botulism. The other thing that's happened since the late seventies and early eighties is that um a lot of properties that might have only mustered breeders once a year now muster them two and three times a year and take calves off, that's in year round mated herds. And the weaning has such a big impact on reducing the phosphorus requirements of a cow. So the combination of the weaning and particularly early weaning with a bit more supplementation. Now we've got an, an awful lot of properties still haven't adopted wet season phosphorus feeding but they are giving them dry season supplements which contain phosphorus so they're helping them with that dry season weight loss problem as well as getting some phosphorus in them. So I think the overall better management of the cattle and probably more infrastructure so cattle don't have to walk as far for water and and, and that type of thing has helped the cattle handle low frost in the diet. So we now have the situation in a lot of country, you no longer get the really overt signs. They still might chew bones, but you don't have the real terrible looking cattle. But properties are probably missing out in many cases because if they got into some wet season supplementation, they'd improve the growth rates. That improve the reproduction rates and improve the, the weights of culled cows and the eternal animals.
0: What about land types? Does that come into it too, Nick? There are more yeah. sort of types of land types that are prone to Yeah, well, I, I suppose
2: um, the classically very poor quality country is the desert upland country. Um, that big belt from southwest to charters, down, is down through, you know, Jericho, Aramac through there. Um, a lot of the Gulf country, when you, you know, get about a, you know, 100k, say, north of Julia Creek, Richmond, Concurry, you get into, you know, lighter soils and, or even heavy black soils that are very low phosphorus levels. So there's a great strip of northern Queensland and into the Cape that has very poor quality soils from a phosphorus point of view and generally poor soils anyway. Um, you come into central Queensland and the coastal country, a lot of that is very phosphorus deficient. And, you know, there's significant areas in central Queensland, like the red tableland country out of Jaringa that's very deficient. When you go into southern Queensland and the southwest, you've got all the mulga countries relatively low in phosphorus. And of course, there's quite a bit of. Other country in southeast Queensland, like ironbark, spotted gum, that's phosphorus deficient. There's a lot of pine-type countries, cypress pine growing on poor-quality soils. All those land types are very low in phosphorus. So it is a very significant area of Queensland where there's a problem. Often the problem is, is not as dramatic as you might initially think because most paddocks have a mix of different country, and in some situations that can avoid the problem. Like if you've got enough good brigalow scrub mixed up with awful spotted gum country, they might well not have a problem because they can the overall diet's okay. But it's when they their diet is largely made up of you know grazing on the poorer soil types is where the, the problem really is serious.
0: And when you're going out to to properties, or even you know at home, if you're trying to assess what the problem is and and start a management plan, how do how do you assess what the problem is, and then how much you should be supplementing, or, or at least coming up with a plan?
2: Well, we would suggest that we start with looking at the, the land types and the soil types on the property, which most producers know very well, and in many cases, you know they've got an idea. Yes this type of country, we get 10, 15% less carbs out of that than a country that might have some good scrub through it. Um, So that's a good starting point. There's tools available such as um, land type mapping that can help you sort of think about these issues. Um, And local knowledge is often pretty important too. Like the better management we've applied in the last 30 odd years has meant that some of those overt systems aren't real common, but there are people around who, who might remember them. So, you know, people who've been in the area a long time are a pretty important source of knowledge in many cases. And the other options we've got then are is um, soil testing. That is somewhat limited in its value because most paddocks contain a, a mix of country and... You could have a particularly poor soil type, but if it's if it's only a relatively small proportion of the paddock, the animals are probably going to be quite okay. So soil testing has to be considered in the context of the overall diet within the paddock. The next testing option we've got is um is blood testing, and it's not just measuring the phosphorus level in the blood, it has to be done in conjunction with an analysis of the diet quality, which, nowadays by fecal NIRS so the reason that's critical is that the higher the quality of the diet the, the higher the phosphorus requirement um, so you just can't look at a blood phosphorus level on its own it's got to be considered in the context of the diet quality because if diet quality is down the, the blood phosphorus level could be higher than it, 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 it um it appears, and that's coming about because the animal's ability to, to grow is restricted by overall diet quality, therefore phosphorus is is, is higher than, than if the animal was, was growing rapidly. So, yeah, they're our principal options for, for looking at the situation. The only challenge with um, testing animals for phosphorus is it, it has to be done towards the end of the growing season, such as, like, March, April... Because we want the animals still on a reasonable quality of diet, so they're gaining weight if, if they're dry cattle. Mm. Testing breeders is not very useful um, because they have the ability to mobilize phosphorus out of their bones and tissues, so that can, you know, give us a false impression of their actual status. And the other requirement for phosphorus testing is they can't be um, supplemented with phosphorus over the the growing season leading up to when you might um, undertake testing say in late March.
0: So who's who's doing the testing when you're coming up with the plan do producers get in touch with with you guys at the department uh, well, or is it vets?
2: Um, a lot of producers get in touch with us about that and we can sort of go through the what you have to do the selection of the paddocks and the, and the mob of cattle local vets will often help people with that then it's just a matter of getting the you know, bleeding tubes organised, which a lot of people do through their vet, you know, get the cattle bled and the samples go off to the University of Queensland Veterinary Science Laboratory at Gatham College is where the blood samples are tested.
0: Okay, good. So it's it's a multi, you get plenty of people involved. It's a multifaceted approach. It does
2: take a little bit of planning and that's why we always suggest that if someone's interested, you know, talk to us and we can go through the process with you
1: going to say the other thing is that the testing can be the most useful when we're in a situation where we're not quite sure if there is a phosphorus deficiency or not and, and whether it's actually affecting production. If people are in country and they know that if they supplement with phosphorus in the wet season and you know they have better growth rates, better conception, you know, bigger wieners, more wieners, etc. We don't need to worry about testing because the supplementation is already doing the job that it should be. The, the testing is more useful when we're in marginal country. We're not quite sure whether there is a deficiency mm-hmm. or if there's a problem there.
0: Okay, that's a good point. Just going back to the different different types, I guess, what what are the different factors for breeders versus steers versus weaners when you're considering a management plan?
1: The major difference is that see, an animal that is, Earth um, and is growing and or lactating has a higher phosphorus requirement like that's the basics of it really so for example a, a pregnant cow or actually probably a lactating cow that's you know maybe four to five hundred kilos on really deficient country we're talking about getting a lot more phosphorus into her every day in her supplement than a, a wiener or a steer for example so So say a a lactating cow that's not putting on any weight, she's just making milk for her calf, and she's on really deficient country. We want you know eight, nine, ten, eleven grams of phosphorus into her every day, depending on how deficient the country is. Whereas a a steer or a heifer, so something you know half her size, we nearly half their phosphorus requirement in the supplement. So there are some really good feeding guidelines that are available um, that can can help people work out their supplementation program but basically yeah the the requirement for phosphorus in the supplement changes based on the size of the animal and their status and what we can do is we can work with people um, to work out you know what cattle they have on what type of country and then what their supplementation requirements could be so we know that the the best response we get from phosphorus supplementation is in the wet season or, or the growing season so as Mick already said Um, The growing season is when diet quality is high. We've got lots of energy and protein in the grass, but phosphorus is what is lacking. So if we feed phosphorus in the wet season on deficient country, it means the cattle can utilise all the energy and protein in the grass, and then that's where we get the improved growth rates. We get more milk production, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Um, But cows, because they are amazing mammals, um, cows, we can also feed them phosphorus in the dry season as well, and they can um, start to accumulate it and put it back into their bones so that they're ready to mobilize it when they lactate again. So um, we know profitability-wise and, and based on some of the great economic work that has been done by the department that you get the best bang for your buck feeding phosphorus in the wet season, um, but we know that the cows can still you know, utilize it in the dry season as well.
0: And you've segued nicely into my next question because you know obviously this all comes at a cost. So, is it is it worth it? What do you how do you sell this to producers who may be on the line when they're looking at this prospect of a big feed bill? Uh, how does it you know pay off for them at the at the end?
1: It's definitely definitely worth it if you're on deficient country, and Mick can talk a bit more about the the more detailed costs about feeding uh, in a second, but. Basically, because what we know is that when cattle are deficient in phosphorus, when we feed them phosphorus at the right time, the, the biological response is so great that they can utilise the phosphorus and the energy and the protein that we just have this great you know increase in production and because phosphorus is relatively cheap to feed compared to say, feeding energy or protein in the dry season, we do get a really good economic response. So Mick, did you want to Talk about you know what it might cost per day or, or per month to feed phosphorus.
2: Oh, yeah. So the cheapest way to feed phosphorus in the wet season is a mix of a phosphorus source and our most common ones are di-calcium phosphate, often referred to as DCP. There's a lot of products that are mono-calcium phosphate, so that's a blend, blend of monocalcium phosphate and di-calcium phosphate. And there are also some calcium phosphate products available. So that's our phosphorus source. And the most economical way to feed it is our phosphorus source mixed with some form of attractant um, to get them to eat the phosphorus product at the right rate. So commonly you might see something like 70% of your phosphorus source DCP or MDCP with 30% salt, for example, or 30% protein meal or a mix of salt and protein meal, its really doesn't matter what attractant you use. It's just there to get them to eat the right amount of phosphorus. And those sort of mixes, you'll feed a breeder 10 grams of phosphorus a day, which is our target on a carefully deficient country for probably about $2.50 ahead a month. There are an enormous range of other products available as most people would know and the thing that changes with them is that the lower the phosphorus in the mix say you go from like if you have 75 percent di-calcium phosphate and the balance some sort of attractant you've probably got a phosphorus percentage overall of 15 percent and that's why that's very economical because they don't have to eat an awful lot to get the 10 grams of phosphorus but if something is only say 8% phosphorus they have to eat twice as much as something that's 15-16% phosphorus and that's where the cost increases come. So we often see a lot of um, products that are lower in phosphorus say in the order of like 10% phosphorus that the cost of them will be in the order of you know four to five dollars a month compared to two dollars fifty a head of month. So, you know, our message is that the higher you can get the phosphorus content of what you're feeding, the cheaper it's going to be for you. And sometimes that's easier said than done. You have to be prepared, particularly with wet season feeding, to put a bit of effort into experimenting if they don't want to take to it with different forms of attractants to find the. The combination that's going to get them to eat it the right amount on your country Mm. and unfortunately even on some extremely deficient country, particular properties and paddocks, they just can be hard to get it to eat products sometime whereas other country, they might eat your phosphorus supplements straight without any attraction whatsoever so um, no one can give anyone a Recipe that's going to be 100% foolproof, you have to be prepared to do some experimenting. Fair but enough. In most districts, there are people doing it, or your local beef extension officer will know someone who's getting it to work. So, there's, there's, there's often a means of getting some local knowledge on, on what's likely to work in your situation if you've had limited experience with getting cattle going on a wet season product. Mm.
0: So, talk to your neighbours and make use of the, of the of the help that's there is what you're saying. Yep. Um so what are you what are your suggestions for recording and monitoring intakes? So we've talked about you know the different requirements for different types of cattle and and land types and that sort of thing.
1: Well, um, the easiest way to do it is to use this nifty little calculator that Mick and I have built., dun, 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 um, dun. which is just a shameless plug for for something that we made. No, but there, um, there's a lot of different ways to record it, but the the main things that you need to, to do the calculations are, the first thing is you need to know what your target intakes are, so what class of animal you're feeding and, and how much phosphorus you need to get into them every day. The second thing is knowing what the phosphorus percentage is of your mix and what the mix actually costs, so you can calculate costs. And then what you need to do is when you go to the paddock, you um, need to record the date that you're putting your mix out, how much you put out. Um, if you had already put some out previously, you need to be able to measure what was left in the trough. So whether you use a little dipstick or, you know, marked lines on your trough, whatever suits you, um, you need to know how many head are in the paddock. And that's it. If you, That's all that you need to actually then go through and calculate how much phosphorus each animal is getting every day. So Mick and I have built a little spreadsheet which we have available on the Future Beef website that people can use if they like, um, which calculates everything for you. But you can do your own calculations. But, um, yeah, it's pretty easy. You just need to, like I said, know what you're trying to feed, what it's costing you, what the percentage is, and then what the situation in the paddock is, how many animals you're feeding, and for how long. Um, Something like the spreadsheet calculates it super easily. Um, But, yeah, there's lots of people that do it in a pocket notebook or – or something like that but something that we always ask people when they come to us with a with any type of nutrition inquiry is what animals are you feeding and how much of that mix are they getting every day and there are a lot of folks who don't record it and it's really hard for us to work with people from a starting point if we don't know how much cattle are eating. If we know what they're eating we can then work with them to tinker with the mix make it more sweet or more sour or whatever the case might be so that we get that phosphorus intake where it should be.
0: And you're finding like a lot of those mixes, You know, I guess the feed companies would work with you as well. Do you see patterns in some of those mixes in terms of land types again or areas or is it fairly individual to to properties and, and their types of cattle?
2: I suppose on the poorer land types you generally see much higher intakes because the cattle are more more deficient and, and often that translates into they're more hungry for the supplement. But that's not always so. You can have situations where country can be quite deficient but they just don't like some particular product and you may have to use a different product to get them to eat it. The intake question is also pretty important with the dry season feeding too. Um I suppose a common scenario is that people aren't getting high enough intakes with the wet season feeding, and that's because you know when there's green grass, you know there's often not quite the same you know intensity of management to get them to eat it when when that's where the effort really needs to be put in. but in the dry season, we often see because the feed quality overall is so low, it's not just low in phosphorus, but it's extremely low in protein and energy, intakes can be quite high. And um, you know, if people aren't monitoring intakes, you can have situations where they might be eating 300 to 400 grams of lick a day, when if, if they had a, a, a lick with better composition, you might be able to get by with an intake of 160 grams a day. So that's why we always you know uh, making annoying people about understanding your intakes because it avoids the situation of either not getting enough of nutri- nutrition into them and that's particularly the issue with phosphorus in the wet season or else the other scenario in the dry season is them eating far too much leak and costing you a lot of extra money.
0: Producers are listening to this and want to know a bit more or, or get a bit of a management plan together for their properties what are some resources that they can go to?
1: Well, the best place to look is the Future Beef website. If you Google Future Beef Phosphorus, you will find a very nifty webpage that was written by Mick and I.
0: You two (laughs) are quite the overachievers, (laughs) aren't you? When you say that phosphorus is your deepest love, I feel like it's true.
1: (laughs) Well, something that we haven't talked about already actually is that uh, Mick's nickname is Mick the Mix Master, which I'm sure you've You've gathered by the way he can rattle, lick and supplement figures off the top of his head. So yeah, he's a mix master. I feel like we've been so, lucky.
0: We should have started with that. That's a leading.
1: <laughs> so myself and the mix master wrote a webpage, <laughs> um, and it it has a, a it's got a lot of information on it. It's got um, videos. It's got webinars. It has downloadable spreadsheets and management plan templates and a bunch of different things that people can use to help their phosphorus situation. Um, But the Future Beef website also has our contact details on it, um, as well as all the extension offices in different parts of the state. So you don't necessarily have to ring Mick or I. Of course, there are extension offices in in, um, offices all over the state. But that's your best point of call is do a little bit of reading on the website and then ring someone and have a yarn about it and we can talk about what your situation is, what type of country you've got, what cattle you're feeding and help
0: make a plan from there and try the calculator before you give you a call perhaps <laughs> give us some information to start <laughs> with that always helps yeah fair <laughs> enough well look it's been a delight to speak to you both mick i'm just going to call you Mixmaster from now on that seems logical so <laughs> thank you both for your time and um we'll hopefully chat again soon yeah thanks John. thanks jane yeah. see you boys <laughs> Thank you for listening to our future beef podcast we hope you liked it if so please like and rate it on your favorite podcast channel for more information about future beef or any of the topics featured in these podcasts please visit futurebeef.com.au you can also sign up to our monthly e-bulletin on our website alternatively you can find us on facebook twitter linkedin or youtube